Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Chris Lovejoy. Chris is the Global Security and Resilience Leader at Kindrel. I'll let Chris tell you about her background and amazing accomplishments. But first, Chris, welcome to the Tech and Main Presents podcast. Thank you, Sean. I'm so happy to be here. Great. Well, thank you, Chris. We appreciate your time. And so, Chris... Without any further ado, why don't you go ahead and share your background with our audience? Uh, sure. So uh, I'll give you the abbreviated version. So first first and foremost, the most important thing, I'm a mom. I've got four kids. I've got two dogs. I've got one husband, and he's a, he's a really good one. And I also uh, uh, grew up in New York and now live in Washington, D.C. And from a background perspective, this is kind of my second career. I actually, I was in public service before I began in technology. And at a certain point, I left the public service field when I got married. And I ended up in North Carolina around Camp Lejeune, which is a military base. And that's kind of how I was introduced to, into technology in a very backwards kind of fashion. I had the opportunity while I was down there to participate in a lot of volunteer activities. At that time, I was kind of home with my kids. And then I was introduced to sort of computer work through some volunteering I was doing, uh, working for a homeless shelter and running a soup kitchen and helping to manage communications between, well, at the time, the uh, the Marine Corps was out on deployment, supporting Yugoslavia and all sorts of different things. But I was running a program for the spouses of the deployment military folks and helping in communication and heard the value of uh, computers there. I had an opportunity to raise some funding after reading a book on the internet thinking I would sort of solve the communications issue. When the guys went away, they couldn't communicate with their wives. I would solve it by creating some connectivity, um, magical connectivity with these new computers using this new internet thing. So raised the money, got the computers and found out that that's not the way it worked. Networking actually has to be established on both ends. So uh, long story short, that was kind of my introduction to networking and never to give up. I kind of learned the art of how to do networking, began to do some self-study, got some jobs as uh, in doing some consulting work down there. And then when I moved DC more permanently, I ended up getting a job as a consultant, became a network engineer over some time, and then ended up at one of the Intel agencies doing some network engineering there. And that was where I kind of learned the art of cybersecurity. So long story short, started as an English major, went into public service, ended up in technology completely in LA, but have loved every minute of it. Well, Chris, thank you for sharing that background. What's so fascinating is your story is not atypical, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of today's cybersecurity leaders, whether it's public or private sector, they, they, they have a very similar background where they, one, were not necessarily science or engineering, and then two, it wasn't something that they necessarily were focused on as their first job out of school. It's, it's, it's always interesting 
to hear kind of these behind the scenes stories, these origin stories, if you will. And so thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, of course. All right. And so, Chris, you're there at Kindrel. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say has you most excited about your daily work? It's a couple of things. I, and I'm just going to take it first from a Kindrel perspective. So I think the company that I'm part of is really trying to do something, I think, incredibly valuable and different. Our We, we split off from IBM almost exactly a year ago. And kind of the foundation and the underpinning of of Kindrel is our values. And the values we have around really providing our people and our customers just a different experience. We are very, very focused on ensuring that customers come first, our employees come first. We might not get everything right, but it is kind of the ethos upon which we operate. So I'd say for me, what's most exciting is just being part of this just transformation where we're going from just the business to being a business that I think is is really kind of the, the social infrastructure that is going to be required for generations to come. And I think we're kind of the vanguard on that journey. And then sort of more specifically on the security side, and I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but suffice to say, it gives me the most excitement is just being surrounded by so many incredibly smart but not just smart, but empathetic and dedicated people. And that, that, again, going back to sort of the cultural ethos, the people that are at Kindrel, they just really care. They care about they care about the people with whom they work. They care about the customers. They care about the value they're delivering. And uh, just being part of that energy is it, the really exciting thing. Well, Chris, it's it's funny because as I mentioned before we started in in doing a little bit of research. One of the things that I came across was that constant drumbeat of smart and passionate people, right? And so when, when you hear something once, you're like, oh, that's, that's, that's cool. That, that's, that's noteworthy. But then when it's consistent and it's not just showing up in your messaging, but it's showing up in your leadership like yourself, Right. You, you, you can you can better believe that it's a part of the fabric. Right. It's a part of the DNA of the organization. And so I just I I took note of that. And I think that's I think that is really commendable because organizations, they they say, oh, here are three, you know, pillars of how we do business. But it's it's something else when people are actually talking about it and it's 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 out there and it's being lived. So, yeah. No, absolutely. And you were talking a little bit about sort of marketing. I know your, your background in marketing. It, it's easy to write words on paper. It's really hard to live those values. And so I think, again, to me, that's, that's the exciting part of being part of this thing that we're part of is, is just it's not just doing it. It's feeling it at the same time. Yes, you, 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 you have to you have to feel it. And so Chris, the, the, the community of customers, the, the clients that you have, what, what issues are they bringing you? What are, what are the, the primary focuses that they're needing you to help them with? 
Yeah, so primarily, so if you think about my customer, my customer tends to be kind of the security ac- executive within a given organization. And so what is the world that they live in? Sort of in one word, it's a complex world. It's very, very, very complex. So I talk about this a lot, but, you know, sort of post-COVID, most organizations, in order to survive, introduce new technology just to enable new ways of working with clients and employees. And that technology was introduced with basically no security control wrapped around it. And at the same time, all of that legacy stuff that they had before COVID, it's still there. So you've got this immense technology landscape, which in security terms is what we call a uh, kind of a vulnerability landscape. And that landscape is increased. So the attack surface is increasing. At the same time, attackers are getting, I don't know whether sophisticated is the right word, but They're getting much more organized. They're commercial enterprises, if you will. They're recognizing that the particularly disruptive events like ransomware events can get you to a really good financial goal. So we're seeing a lot more of those and they're very impactful. And then what's happening as well is that the regulatory authorities who see this complexity and see all of these sort of new disruptive attacks are getting involved and they're unleashing a plethora of new regulatory requirements in around security resiliency. And so our CISO customers are forced to really deal with all of these sort of growing sort of set of technologies that they have to secure, a number of regulations they have to navigate, attackers that are not giving up. And so meanwhile, there's a potential recession. And so everybody's worried about money. And you didn't ask me this question, but I'm just going to sort of introduce it. It's like, why is it that security people and some of the more successful security people did not come from technology careers? It's because at the end of the day, the job of a security executive is to convince somebody that they need to spend money to protect them against something that hasn't happened. It's really hard to do. That is not a technical skill. That has to do with being able to communicate effectively, being able to understand business, being empathetic enough to understand the business requirements and be able to communicate the value of what you're suggesting within people's terms. So again, that that is the, the challenge that we are facing as security professionals is navigating that complexity and then communicating kind of answer to that complexity in a world where it's really hard to convince people to spend money. Well, Chris, so there's, there's something I don't want to piggyback on, and it's so profound because when you think about the fact that intellectual property, your customer information, your employee information, right, those are what make up the crown jewels. Right? And then when you look at, let's say, K-12 or higher ed, where in most cases, they are spending less than 1% of their annual IT budget on security. So if you've got a $2 million budget, that's $20,000, right? And you're, you're expected to, it, it's, it's almost biblical in a sense that you're, you're expected to take that $20,000 and make it do so much. And so it, it is, it really, it really is a, a, a sales job, a, a psychology move, if you will, to get people to realize Okay, the thing that's being reported in the media, that hasn't happened directly to us yet, but our industry is in the crosshairs, if you will, of these attackers. And so we do need to go ahead and and spend more than what we've spent or consider spending. And so you, you really do have to yeah, coax and cajole in a lot of instances to, to get what you need. 
from a security perspective. Yeah, no, that's really well said. And I think in the simplest terms, when you're talking to a business person, but I always use the analogy of an automobile, like a business person thinks, okay, well, to protect myself against that bad thing, I'll buy insurance. What they don't realize is that the car they bought doesn't have brakes, airbags, or seatbelts, right? The vendors don't include security into the package that they deliver to you. And and the business people are like, wait, what? Wait, what do you mean I bought a car that doesn't have brakes? That does not compute. And so getting a, a business leader to take on that investment after they've made that sort of the the emotional and financial investment in that digital transformation, it's really hard to do. Oh, very, very well said, Chris. Very well said. Well, let me ask you this question. So let's let's talk to a, a young person or maybe someone that's young at heart and they're looking at a career change or a move into the area of technology and cybersecurity. What advice would you share with that individual? Well, first of all, it is, it's an incredibly exciting field and there are lots of aspects to it. I'm so going back to sort of marketing and education. There are roles for individuals who want to engage in just teaching people how to be part of sort of the army, if you will. The There's very technical roles where you're architecting solutions to particular problems. There are delivery roles. There are consulting roles. There are I mean, every possible role within the continuum you can imagine, it's possible to apply to this field. I think at the end of the day, what it requires are people that understand risk. That That's my, my job. And in security, it's understanding, okay, I have a, a let's say, an K through 12 institution. What's the potential risk? What, what could happen What's the impact if it happens? What can I do to protect myself against that? What's the cost? And then weighing the cost benefit of doing that. And then all of the other jobs within that context. But you know, at the end of the day, you can pretty much study anything you want to and end up in technology. Just have, a, I think the most important thing is to understand when I retire, have I spent my time in a field that gives me as a human being the sense that I've, I've fulfilled my purpose? And so perhaps that's kind of a wimpy thing to say, but you know, I am a big believer that you've got to have a good work-life balance. A job doesn't define you and you don't define the job. It's kind of someplace in between. And, and so just make sure it's investigate and make sure it's something you really want to do because you don't want to spend 40 years doing something and look back and say, mm, boy. Why did, I, why did I spend my time doing that? Oh, that is that is an excellent point, Chris. Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, what teacher at any level would you say has had the greatest impact on you? Oh, that's an easy one. So I had uh, my French teacher, Donna Matlas. Uh, she was uh, in incredibly impactful person in my life where I was growing up. She She taught me that I had potential. And that's, that is a really hard thing. It's not what, she, what, it's not what she taught me academically. It's what she taught me about me and the, my ability to see beyond myself, which I thought, I, I, I look back and I say, she, she was just such a profoundly important role for me or person for me in my life. Oh, Donna Matlis. That's, that's wonderful. Were you ever able to 
keep up with her once you were out of her class? I did. I just, I actually, I haven't seen her in a while, but uh, yes, we do keep in touch. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. All right. And Chris, we'll, we'll ask this last question of you. And so we'll, we'll jump in the time machine together and we'll go back to 18 year old Chris Lovejoy. What is the Chris of today going to give in the way of advice to her 18 year old self? Asked me that recently and I, I kind of answered very quickly, but it was true is when you're sitting for your high school graduation pictures, do not wear feather earrings and blue eyeliner. That was sort of, <laughs> it lasts forever. So every time I look at that picture, I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> that is probably number one. There's a couple of boyfriend-related pieces of advice I would give myself as well. But other than that, it's really just just go with it. Just relax. Don't worry so much. That that's that's kind of the big global thing I would say. Oh, Chris, that is a wonderful answer. Probably the most fun answer I've questioned. But with that, Chris, I wanted to say thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor to have you on the podcast. Before we go, what is the best way for people to get in contact with you or follow you on social media? Best way to get in contact with me is LinkedIn. Honestly, I'm, I'm pretty good about sort of, I'm not necessarily going to write you back an email because I know a lot of people would like to sort of engage and I wish I could. It's just, it's super hard, but LinkedIn will connect you to me. You can also reach out to me at, by email at my company. Uh, It's chris.lovejoy at kindrel.com and kindrel is K-Y-N-D-R-Y-L. And uh, yeah, well, uh, that's where you can get in touch with me. Okay, great. And Chris, we will put that information in the show notes, but again, thank you so much for your time, Chris. We really enjoyed getting to know you better and to know what you're doing there at Kendrill. Thank you, Sean. It's been a pleasure. And Techamay presents family with that. Thank you as always for listening. And be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends. And thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.